everlasting power of the everlasting God. I pray, Father, that the treasure in this earthen vessel may be of the excellency of the power of God and that not of myself. I pray, Father, uh, for the anointing that it would saturate in this place, but also that ears, that eyes, that minds, that hearts be rendered fertile for the planting of the seed. And Father God, we know that you came here to do a work through us and we receive it in advance. And we will always give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And in your mighty master's name, the name of Jesus, everyone in agreement with that prayer said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to my foundational scripture, which is the book of John, chapter 2. I'm going to start out in verse 13. And while you're turning there, I want you to notice that I have a little friend, no, I wouldn't call him a friend, I have a foe up here. And this foe represents Satan. Now, Satan is not as big as this. All right, so don't get it twisted. But tonight, we're going to whoop up some on Satan. Hallelujah. All right, so John chapter 2, verse 13. It reads this way. And the Jews... Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jesus was there for the Passover feast. 14, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. There's a version that says the loan sharks. And when he, Jesus, had made a scourge of the small cords, he actually made a whip. He drove all of them, or drove them all, out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the loan sharks' money and overthrew the tables. Verse 16, and said unto them that sold doves. Now, they're in the marketplace, so they're selling more than doves, right? They're selling doves, they're selling goats, they're selling sheep, oxen, they're selling trinkets, they're selling merchandise, goods, products, they're selling everything. Take these things hence. Underline, take these things. Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Say, take these things hence. You can say it louder than that. Take these things hence. God bless. I love that. In Greek, that means take these things from here or take these things from this place. Operative word, take. So we'll be talking a lot about taking tonight. So as I read and meditated on this scripture, I can just see Jesus showing up in the marketplace. And as he shows up in the marketplace, he sees all of this activity that is profaning the temple itself. What he knows is that the priest of the time sold licenses to the loan sharks to be in the temple. The loan sharks were selling everything they could to make money, right? The loan sharking of his time can't be too much different than the loan sharking, the loan sharking of our time. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Would you agree with that? So there's exchange of money, there's exchange of goods, there's a lot going on in the temple. So I can imagine 
Just like any of us, if you show up in a place like that and you see somebody profaning the house of God, profaning the temple, you'll probably see something on our faces. You'll probably tell something in our demeanor and our posture. Now, if there are loan sharks in the marketplace, there had to be enforcers in the marketplace. There had to be an extra pair of eyes all over the place, right? Because, again, money and goods are being exchanged. That did not deter Jesus. So what did Jesus do? He sat down and he started to fashion a whip. Somebody had to see him boiling over, sitting down, making a whip. So he took the whip uh, and made different strands on the whip. He made the balls on the end of the whip. Doesn't say if he used uh, metal, rock, glass, as they would do during that time. So I can imagine at some point Jesus made the whip and he stood up just like I would do. And he said, well, let me test this whip out just to be sure it's ready for action. So he probably said, a a a right? Somebody had to see all this. Huh? So at the point when Jesus decided that this whip is ready for action, he went to town, whipped everybody out of the temple. Now, I've often wondered when I've, when I've read that scripture, is this. How could Jesus beat everybody out of the temple? All the loan sharks, all the extra pair of eyes, all the enforcers, every animal, it says all, everything was whooped out of the temple. I believe that Jesus had angels. I believe that Jesus had his anointing, and they were all working together in concert. I believe that they were shielding him when needed, and I believe he used them as a strong arm when needed. Jesus made a courageous stand. What he did was knock the snot out of the evildoers. He put them out of his temple. He got his house in order. Now, I wonder how many of us may have some exchanges, some interactions, some talking, some speaking, some relationships that just might have our house out of order to some yes. degree. Yes. Like Jesus, we have to kick the enemy out because he is, in effect, eroding our houses of faith. Like Jesus, we should make a stand with nothing wavering to tell the devil, not in my house. We, like Jesus, have angels that hearken unto our command, right? We know the angels say, hey, God, what is man that you should be mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should visit him? So God got it straight with the angels. Hmm? When Minister George called angels, you know, to stand alert and to do what's needed to be done. When we call the angels, they respond. But not only do we have angels, we also have the authority and the power of Jesus Christ himself. If we invoke the name of Jesus, he'll be there on the scene. Not only do we have the angels in Jesus, we also have the Holy Ghost, right? Our standby, our helper, our advocate, our strengthener our intercessor, our counselor, our guide, our teacher, whatever we need, we have all three operating on our, excuse me, behalf. 
So that begs to ask the question, what's our excuse? Why do we sometimes accept what Satan is selling in the exchange? A lot of times, we Christians, our action may not line up with our faith. Our word, we're not perfect, I understand. Our words may not line up with our faith. I was going to ask this question, but I'll just say it like this. I'm sure every Christian in here knows another Christian that when you see them coming, when you see them on the horizon, you want to hide, you want to run, you want to get lost. They call you on the phone, you do what? You don't answer that phone. Because you know, in our little Christian way of talking, they will say something very cleverly to disguise and badmouth something, somebody, but rarely themselves. Am, am I right about that? So, everybody knows who Mahatma Gandhi is, right? Gandhi, basically. Right, Gandhi is the Hindu Muslim that, that pretty much uh, patterned himself after uh, uh, nonviolent civil disobedience. Right? He was one of the, 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 the people that Dr. Martin Luther King studied. Is that right, Deacon Al? Thank you very much. There was one of the guys that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King patterned his civil rights movement after. Well, Mahatma Gandhi said, I would have been a Christian had I not met one. And then he said this. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And he turned to be a Muslim. We should never let that be said about us. Let me give you the title of my teaching. The title of my sermon tonight, in case you haven't figured it out, is this. Knock the snot out of the devil. Tonight, we're going to knock the snot out of the devil. Well, I, you know, I've been kind of fired up about this all day. So if I get kind of giddy, forgive me. If I get kind of fast in my rhythm and my speech, keep up, okay? I might slow down. I might not. But I'm hoping that you'll get on board, and I'm hoping that you get some, I'll get some interaction, okay? Let's try that. Let's see if I can get some interaction. If I say, what do we do? I would want you to respond, knock the snot out of the devil. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I like how that sounds. Glory to God. All right, that was my first introduction. Now, let me give you my second introduction. My wife told me uh, not to use her in ex- as an example in my sermons anymore, right? So y'all know what that means. Now, that, that means she gets a pass maybe tonight. So I'm going to use myself. I'm going to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to me very quickly before I really get into the message. Uh, and something that, that helped propel me uh, through some seasons in my life that was very positive for me, and that is athletics, okay, uh, namely football. Uh, football was my get-out-of-the-hood ticket. 
football propels me, uh, a free scholarship allowed me to get education at an institution at a level that would have been next to impossible to accomplish without the free ride, right? Uh, I do believe in sports. Um, uh, I, bl- I think it teaches you a lot of fundamentals in life, you know, how to overcome adversity, teamwork, uh, how to plan, set goals, preparation, discipline, sacrifice, you know, all that type of stuff, which is good stuff. But in high school, I played defense. I was what's called an outside linebacker. Basically, I set up on the strong side of the defense. So I'm, kind of, I'm going to be real simple for those that may not know what that is. <clears throat> the opponents always moved people from side to side. All right, if this is a football they moved their strength from side to side. My job was to go to the strongest side of the offense, the opponents. If they put an extra guy over here, I was over here. My job was very simple. If I had to create a job assignment, uh, I would say my job encompassed three things as an outside, line, as an outside linebacker. To create havoc, to instill confusion, and to cause disruption. Havoc, confusion, and disruption. I was the most outside guy, so I had to set what was called the perimeter. I could not lose my leverage and allow the offense to get outside of me. Because if that happened, it's me and it's the sideline. They could run up the sideline and possibly score a touchdown. Okay? So a cardinal sin was for me to lose my leverage. A cardinal sin was for me to let them get to my feet or get anywhere within my body, knock me in the mouth, get me off a point. That was a no-no. So, my focus was very clear. It was to knock the living snot out of anybody that got in my way. It's as very simple as that. I can break it down that way. Anybody that tried to get me off point, anybody that tried to get into my head, anybody that tried to get to my wheels, get to my body, get to my face, get, off, get me off my leverage, knock them in the mouth. And when I knock them in the mouth, try to knock the snot out of them. See, that's exactly how we have to stand fast against the attacks of the devil. We cannot lose ground and allow him to get us off point. We have to treat him like a defeated foe that he is. Hallelujah. Tonight, I'm going to give you three points for knocking the snot out of the devil. Three points. My first point is this. Take violence and use it as an ally. Take violence and use it as an ally. What do we do? Oh, oh, man, you guys not on your point. You're not on your job. I thought I might catch you sleeping. What do we do? What do we do? It's not going to hit you, trust me. That's how you flip. You ready? (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, So go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to verse 12. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And that reads, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent 
Key word, take it by force. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Can you say, take it by force? So the kingdom of heaven, paradise, a place of utopia, no more tears, no more pain, no more heartaches, serenity, peace. And now we're talking about violence. But as we just saw in John 2, violence can be used for a, as a tool for the greater good. Okay? So let's break this scripture down. I'm going to break it into three parts. The first part is from the days of John the Baptist until now. This is the fact Jesus is stating. Very simple. From the ministry of John the Baptist unto the ministry of Jesus Christ and his disciples. So, are we not the disciples of Jesus Christ? So, where's he saying from the days of John the Baptist until today? Second part is this. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. That phrase, suffered violence, means comes with force. So, the kingdom of heaven has come with force. All right. Force for what? Force for power upon the souls of men. Let's quickly go back to the, the Garden of Eden. Right? So Adam had a relationship like none other with God. He walked in God in the cool, with God in the cool of the evening. His spirit and heart were knit and in tune with God. Right? So then comes the fall, then comes the separation. With the fall and the separation, we severed that relationship with God the Father. And mankind has been seeking to reunite that relationship every since. All the money, all the power, all the sex, hmm, all the drugs cannot replace that hole, cannot replace that that. that that breach cannot replace the void. The only thing that can replace that void is to establish a relationship with our Father. That hunger, that abyss, the only way to establish that relationship is for us to be filled with the bread of life, the Word of God, right? And with the living water, after which we'll never thirst again. So power upon the souls of men. Power for what? Power to quicken our spirits. Quicken is, in the Greek is heya, H-A-Y-A, to make alive, to preserve alive, to keep alive, to save alive. Ephesians 2, 1 says this, and he has quickened those who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, truth be told, that's everybody in this place. We all have sins. We all have trespassed, right? The Bible says if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves, and the truth is not in you. And I'll have an altar call later on. So hold the finger there, and let's quickly go to Psalms 119, verse 25. Psalms 119, verse 25. Psalms 119, verse 25. Okay, here we have the psalmist speaking, and, and David says this, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken, make alive thou me according to thy word. 
That phrase, my soul cleaveth until the dust, is a term where David meant, I humble myself with the deepest of humility, Father. I humble myself with the deepest of humility. Quicken, make alive thou me according to thy word. See, David understood the force behind the quickening power of the Lord. He had seen it. He had faith for it. He experienced it. It came to pass. So much so that if you were to read all of Psalms 119, you would see nine other prayers where David actually pleaded with God to quicken his spirit, to quicken his body. Now let's go back and finish up the last part of Matthew eleven, twelve, which is this. It says, and the violent take it, it by force. And the violent take it by force. John the Baptist preached with an emphasis on prophecy, right? He preached hell and brimstone. That's it. He was raw, but he preached prophecy. Matter of fact, it was foretold to his father, number one, to name him John, and number two, that he would come and pave the way for the Messiah. So Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is prophecy fulfilled. So who are the violent that taketh it by force? Well, look around. You're looking at the violent. That is us. We're the ones that take it by force. Get this. The very hearts of men are inflamed in our pursuit for heavenly things. The very hearts of men are inflamed in our pursuit for heavenly things. See, we have that never-ending desire to please the Father. So in that pursuit, we resemble, we act like violent, desperate men willing to seize by force, if necessary, the knowledge and anything needed to obtain the kingdom. We should be greedy for the gospel. We should stand up and act like the overcomers that we are. We can't be victors with no victories. We can't be conquerors without continually having conquests. We're living in the age of dispensation, the dispensation of grace, but we're also living in the end times, right? A lot of craziness happening around us, Orlando and, and, and so forth. In Matthew 24, I'm just going to talk through it. I was going to have you turn it up, but no, I'm just going to talk through it. In Matthew 24, 5 through 7, Jesus tells us there are going to be wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom and pestilence, earthquakes, famines, the beginning of sorrows. But before he did all of that, he said in Matthew 24, 4, a very simple but profound statement, I think. He said this, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Very simple. Take heed that no man deceive you. And we know who the great deceiver is. We know who the liar of lies is, the father of lies. Ain't no truth in him. We know who that is, right? The, the captain of counterfeit. We know who that is. That is this fellow. 
So Jesus is saying, don't be dumb and don't be deceived, if I can give you my interpretation of it. So knocking the snot out of the devil means one thing. We cannot placate and stand still. We have to take the fight to him. We have to take the fight to him. You know, as an outside linebacker, you know, I just didn't stand there and let 300 pounders just run and just bull me over. I had a little more sense than that. I knew that if I charged them first hmm, and I delivered the force and I did it, that's why I see a lot of football players getting low because whoever gets lower with controlled power can win the fight. Hmm? So I took it to them. I didn't let them bring the force to me where I just relinquished and gave up. You know, in these last days, we can't be passive. We have to be aggressive. Matter of fact, we have to be overly aggressive. Hmm. God has not given us a spirit of, power, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And we use that power to inflict damage and turmoil on the attacks, plans, schemes of the enemy. Huh? On his kingdom, not ours. You know, when we, when we have this enemy on the ropes... When we have them down on the mat, we can't let them up. Huh? We can't be nice to nasty. Huh? We can't do it. Anybody want to be nice to the Satan? I didn't think so. But when you got him down, I mean, you just can't be, you, you got to knee him a few times. You got to elbow him a few times. You got to gouge him in the eyes. You got to take his face and, and put it in the, in the dust and the sand and the water so he can't breathe. We do whatever it takes to defeat Satan at every turn. You know, if you, if you give him a break, if you, if you give him an inch, he'll take a country mile. If you let him in the car, he'll want to drive. If you blink one eye, he'll take both eyes. If you take your hands off his throat, he'll put both hands on your throat. We cannot treat him nice. We've got to be aggressive. We've got to take the fight to him. That's called being a conqueror. All right, all Christians know how to quote James 4, 7. Hmm? We resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But we never quote the entire scripture properly. Because the beginning of the scripture says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word resist is very interesting because there are certain synonyms for resist. I'll give you a few. For example, fight, battle, attack, counterattack. So if you put that in the scripture, submit yourselves therefore to God and fight, battle, attack, counterattack the devil and he will do what? He will flee from you. Sounds like war to me. See, another title for God is that he is a God of war. Now, I'm going to give it to you, you know, in the Johnny Walker fashion. Fairly simple. That means I take the fight to him and I whip him or I let him take the fight to me and he whips me. Fairly simple. And I know which side of the equation I want to be on. So God is saying, submit, bow, surrender, yield to me, and I will combine my power with your power, and just like Jesus in the temple, we'll be in concert, and we'll put a whipping on the devils, you know what. Amen. Right? And it's not because he needs our power. He's God Almighty. 
but it's because we are free will agents and we have to make a decision and we have to put some skin in the game. Now, so I want to really hammer this point in time. It's getting away from me. Turn quickly, please, to Luke 10, 19. Luke 10, 19. In Luke 10, 19, it reads, Behold, I have given unto you, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Did I read that right? Over all the power of the enemy. So we have power over the highest power of the enemy. That's what it says. Then it says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So we know that Jesus has given us his delegated authority and power to destroy the works of the enemy. That's, what Je- that's, that's one of Jesus' job description. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And then he told us, greater works shall we do than him. And some of these greater works he's talking about is putting a beat down on serpents and scorpions and devils and imps and evil workers of iniquity, right? They're all right here in one. If we choose, let's put it this way, there's a condition. If we choose to submit to God and to take the kingdom and his word with force. Of course, take uh, is a term for aggression for hostility, uh, it signifies action. I, by nature, am, am aggressive, so I'm told. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of men like that are aggressive by nature. It's, it's just how we are. Now, as a linebacker, my primary objective was to tackle that football, right? But the opposition just didn't say, hey, Johnny, take this football. They sent 300-pound blockers to stop me from getting to the ball, right? There were tackles, there were pulling guards, sometimes pulling centers, sometimes the end would try to double team me, sometimes I'd have wide outs try to crack back from behind, full backs coming at me full steam, but that didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is that I felt that football was mine. That's how we have to feel about the promises of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord that belong unto us. The, the, the devil is not going to simply say, okay, you can have all of this. He's not going to lay down and let you walk all over him. He's going to put obstacles in your way. But our focus is not to be on the obstacles or should not be on the obstacles. Our focus should be on the promises that belong to us behind the obstacles. Amen? Because they, you know, sometimes we have to have that Joshua and that Caleb mentality, hmm? which says, I am well able to take and possess it. Yes. Hmm? Possession sometimes involves some taking. Yes. It involves some action. Yes. You got to get off your rusty dusty and get what belongs to you. Yes. Point number two, take your authority and take the fight to the enemy. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Be prepared. What do we do? Are you sure you want to knock the snot out of Satan? (laughs) What do we do? There was uh, Deacon Al back there. He's getting fired up back there. Take is defined by Webster this way, to seize or capture. 
to get into one's hands, possession, control, etc., by force. Taking is the subsequent action to making a choice, right? We have to make a, a decision, and then the action follows, right? Taking in and of itself is really neutral. I'll give you an example. Look at it this way. If we don't take, the flip side of it is that somebody else will take. My wife's birthday is going to be in November. And let's say I decide I want to take her to a really extravagant place. Uh, you know, not a five-star restaurant, a seven-star restaurant. Uh, have her own butler, her own waiter, her own cook, all that type of stuff, right? Very romantic. All right, so I make all these decisions, but I have to do what? I have to take some action to put it into play. Now, if a birthday rolls around and I don't take any action, then I guarantee you the flip side of that is that she will take some action and I won't get no action. <laughs> so I'm planning early. It's the same thing with the enemy. If we don't take the fight to him, we do nothing. He'll flip it and bring the fight, take the fight to us. See, this battle we're in is constant between good and evil. Taking is absolute. Somebody will take. Now, let me quickly give you, let me quickly give you, uh, I was going to give you about six takes to put in your arsenal to whoop up on the devil. I give you two. We've already talked about Matthew 24, 4, take heed to not be deceived. How about this? Take the yoke of Christ. Matthew 12, 29. You don't have to turn there. We're going to talk through it. Jesus says, take his yoke and learn of him. Now, we know Jesus has already made an open show and whooped the devil's butt, right? So why in the world would we not follow his lead? Here's another take. Take no thought for life or for raiment. No thought for life or food or shelter or clothing, basically. Matthew 6, 25 through 26. The Lord is Jehovah Jireh. He uh, uh, has prevision to make provision. He gives us everything we need physically, materially, financially, spiritually, right? He does it in part because he loves us, but he also, one byproduct of that is that the enemy cannot hold us hostage. Point three, take your blessings and press forward with the word. Take your blessings and press forward with the word. We do that by speaking, by knowing, and by internalizing the word of God. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18, everybody remembers the prophet Elijah. He slew with, uh, with a natural sword 450 bales of prophet, 450 prophets of Baal, Right? We have a better sword. Hmm? Under the New Testament, we have the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word is quick and powerful, sharper than each double-edged sword. Right? Piercing to dividing the sun, the soul, the spirit, joints to the marrow. There's discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if the prophet Elijah can slay 500 or 450 men with his natural hand, how many demons, how many workers of iniquity and evil can we slay, can we slay with the hand of the Holy Spirit? Can, can you stand one more take? 
Take the whole armor, Ephesians 6, 12. Take the whole armor of God, right? We're supposed to put on the armor of God. Shout our feet with the preparation of God's gospel of the peace. Gird our loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Carry the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the wicked fire drops of the enemy. Put on the helmet of salvation. And do what? Take out the, the spirit, the sword of the spirit. Let me get that right. Which is the word of God. It is the only offensive weapon in our arsenal, right? But we have to take it out. And we have to wield it to cut off his head. Now, in taking it out, we have to have the intent to cause some serious damage. When we use our weapon, the word, we have to be serious about the word of God. We have to be convicted about the word of God. We can't use the word of God frivolously, playfully, you know, ingest all the time. Can't do that. You pull that sword out playfully, you might fall on it and hurt yourself. Hmm? We know that when we use it the right way, demons tremble and shake. And not again because of us, but because of him. We have uh, within our congregation some serious brothers. We have professional policemen we have professional security guards. We have professional guys that lead security details, you know, for top-notch individuals. They will tell you through their extensive training that there are three elements that have to be met before they can use lethal force. Those three elements are ability, proximity, and jeopardy. Ability. You have to believe that the opposition yeah, is out to cause you harm, hurt you, kill you, what have you. I think Satan satisfies that element. Amen. Second, proximity. Well, there has to be immediate concern that the threat is near or the threat can reach you. Our mind is a playground for the enemy, which is why we need to renew it every day. I believe Satan fulfills and satisfies that second test. The third test is this, jeopardy. So the opposition, the other person's actions or words have to provide you with a reasonable perceived belief that they will harm you. I believe Satan, I can give him a check on that one as well. So having said that, that tells me then that we have a lawful right, a legal right, a spiritual right, and a biblical right to knock the snot out of the enemy. We have a right to take out our weapon and to use lethal force. See, everybody remembers, I'm not going to have you turn there, everybody remembers the uh, sons of Sceva. Right, the sons of Sceva, they had no relationship with God, so because they had no relationship, they had no word. Because they had no word, they had no weapons that they could use, right? So they went and they challenged and they tried to rebuke evil spirits. They said, come out in the name of Jesus, which Paul preaches. The evil spirits looked at each other and said, man, what kind of Mickey Mouse mess is this? They looked at the sons of Sceva. Jesus we know. 
Paul we know, but who are you? And if we apply that three-rule test, those evil spirits had ability, they had proximity, and they placed the sons of Sceva in jeopardy. But since the sons of Sceva had no weaponry, they had nothing to pull out to deal with lethal force. So what happened? The spirits took it to them. Beat them up, made them run through the street naked. When true believers use and speak the word of God in the devil's face, I feel the best, the best illustration I can give you is just like us taking a nuclear warhead and popping it in his mouth. And our hand is on the trigger button. But we don't push it until we see the whites of his eyes. And then we annihilate him. Now, contrary to popular belief, the state of Florida did not establish, did not create stand your ground. Our heavenly father created stand your ground. He said, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. See, we don't give in and we don't give out. We remain in the fight as long as it takes because we know we win. We know there are more that are with us than are with them. All right, so time is getting away. So as I'm battling on the front line, I'm battling with a lot of Christians. So I got a, one question to ask you guys. I want to know what type of Christians am I fighting with? Any knee knocking? Any teeth chattering? Any, uh, 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 any uh, tail tucking? Any nail biting? Any hair pulling? Any fair weather saints? Any bench warmers? Any part-timers? Any lily livers? Any yellow backs? What am I fighting with? Talk to me. Talk to me. Any dodgers? Anybody ditching? Anybody running for cover? Well, hallelujah. Then that means that I'm serving with mighty men and women of God. Is that right? Well, is that right? Hallelujah. So we stand erect. We stand with our chins up, our chest out, and our back straight because we know that we win. Hallelujah. Oh, I got 20 seconds. Let me give you this. And we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We are the believers, and we overcome him, him being Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the Lord, and by our testimony, our victories and our conquests. So let me leave you with three applications. To consider. First, make the enemy your target. It's time out for us walking around with targets on our back. Let's put a target on his forehead, give him black eyes, and cause him havoc, confusion, and disruption. Amen. Secondly, the best offense is an aggressive defense. When the enemy tries to get us to reason contrary to the truth, what do we do? When he tries to get us to major on the negative, what do we do? When he tries to distract us and get us off point, what do we do? <laughs> Lastly, this. Use your right, your biblical right, your lawful right to pull your weapon out, to use and exercise lethal force. Always think ability, proximity, and jeopardy. Ability, proximity, and jeopardy. 
So as I sit myself down so I can come back up again one day, let me say this. I'm looking at Deacon Al. I know he is a veteran, and there are other veterans in here. I know Deacon Bob is a veteran. There are other veterans in here, right? So you can attest to this. There are three C's in war, the letter C. Three C's in war. Casualties, captives, and conquerors. Which one are you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to thank you guys. I hope you got something out of this tonight. Glory to God. All right. I hope I planted some good seed. It's all yours. Amen. You want me to close? I can take it. Okay, God bless. God bless. All right. All right, so with that, all heads bowed in prayer. No one moving around except those that have been assigned to do so.